0: Okay, so good morning. Good to see everybody. Good to see you on Zoom. Good to see you in person. Um, So next week, we are entering the Spring Ango training period, as you know. And uh, it's both important and very beneficial that we take some time to examine our understanding of this particular aspect of our practice so we know how to get the most of it. Now, since uh, we hold UNGO twice a year, some of us have gone through many of them, many UNGO periods over the years, and we need to stay muted, please. We need to be aware of the fact that we may have developed all kinds of thoughts and feelings that stem from our past experiences of being in UNGO. And we also need to be aware of the fact that this can be to our detriment. So, having experiences is not always good. Or we can say that we have to know how to use our experiences so they don't hinder us going forward and deepening. So, having past experiences can be useful, but it can also prevent us from seeing new opportunities and, how to, and learn how to perhaps better use that time. And we can all, I know from personal experience, of, of, of having gone through many Angos, we can definitely do a better job deepening or using it better. And, and how deep uh, the Ango will go has everything to do with how deep we will be going with it or using it. And so for those, those of you who are new to the practice and entering Ango for the first time, you actually may have an advantage of truly being a beginner, of of coming into such a practice without any preconceived notions or experiences, which is an advantage. And, And some of us who have been doing it for a while, we need to learn from you who are beginning. And we need to learn also to begin again, which means putting aside everything we know about Ango, everything we think about Ango, and asking, what is Ango? What is it? Not what I know about it. What is it? Or maybe, maybe better yet, what is it today? At this time? With everything that's going on around the world, with everything that's going on going around in my life. What is Ango? So Dogen spoke about Ango as being a tool of our practice and like in the case of any tool it is the way we use it solely depends on the skillfulness of the one who is using it so the tool it, itself is just a tool it just sits there right it may be even the best tools out there will always be limited to the way they are handled by the craftsman sometimes the craft, craftsman can be cut by a tool if they don't know how to use it well. And I think it's the same with Ango. It's also the same with our practice. Practice can be helpful, but if we don't know how to use it well, it can be harmful, or at least not beneficial. And so an Ango period may potentially offer a transformative opportunity, but it is up to each of us to bring that potential to fruition. And I think that we should get excited about this possibility and see it, okay, never mind what happened before. Here I am again, facing another opportunity. How great is that? So why do we engage in anger twice a year? Some people ask that. So I want to say a few words. Uh, Simply put, the gist of our practice lies in realizing who we truly are in essence, and then manifesting that truth through everyday existence. And it sounds straightforward, because it is, but it is often not so simple as a practice because of our persistent attachments and our habitual karmic patterns, which form the glaciers or crust of our mistaken views of reality. As Wineng says in the Platform Sutra, Everyone is endowed with wisdom. So how is it that many of us do not understand the Dharma when we hear it? It's because of our barriers of mistaken views are so thick and our roots of passions are so deep. It's like when heavy clouds cover the sun. Unless the wind blows them away, the sun cannot shine through. So because the light of our intrinsic nature is covered by our delusions, We need to turn to skillful means, upaya, so we can acknowledge the different ways we personally cover it up and then work on liberating ourselves from ourselves. So Ango is one of the skillful ways that we do that in the Soto Zen tradition. And so what makes it so skillful? People ask that too. So the core aspect of our practice is Zazen, as we know, which is essentially a period of time dedicated to voluntary restriction. And it has to be that way by choice. We should not feel obligated to sit in Zazen, and we also should not force ourselves to do it. That's not going to work. By restricting our speech and movement, we do not allow the forces of our habits to take charge of our speech and action because we just don't move and we don't speak. And by doing so, we mess with the formation of our mistaken views, which are the source of our thick barriers that cover our intrinsic light or the light of our intrinsic nature. And this is why Often we feel lighter after zazen. As if the clouds part, And the sun can actually penetrate through. It gets covered up again. So we practice again. On a daily basis. And so we do ango twice a year. And we do a zazenkai and sishin on a regular basis. So during a zazenkai or sishin, we intensify this process, as I just mentioned. And during an Ango, we take on the commitment to expand our efforts further and blur the line, or further blur the line, between formal zazen and everyday life. So we can keep dissolving the barriers of our delusions and allow the light of wisdom to permeate our lives further. But commitments can only be actualized if we know how to sustain our resolve over time. So in the same way that Zazen requires strong discipline, maintaining the resolve for 90 days also requires discipline. And sometimes words like discipline and restriction may sound to us intimidating. And they may trigger some inner resistance. But in terms of Zen practice, they actually point a way, or point to a way of being that brings about a greater sense of freedom and lightheartedness, which sounds contradictory because what we feel is not that. What we initially feel is not that. So as in the case of any word or words in general, we need to get beyond our connotations and initial reactivities. Otherwise, language itself can become a trap, and language is a tool, it's an essential tool that we have as human beings. It's just that if we don't know how to use language, we become slaves of the tool and we are being used by language rather than actually use it. So we have to see words as flexible, dynamic, moving, rather than fixed. such as the word discipline or the word accountability, for example. I don't want to be accountable. I want to do whatever I do, whatever I want to do, whenever I want to do it. But accountability is one of the ways we as a sangha support each other. Right? So we offer that. We offer that ability to, to others or to each other to be accountable. So this is why anger commitment begins with looking at what we, do, what we want to do with this period and then filling out a form and then sending that form to the head trainee, right? So this way, by doing so, we, we rise to the occasion. We tell ourselves, I'm going to take this seriously. Not because somebody is going to come and tell me that I'm bad if I don't. No, because I want to. It's voluntary, like sitting. I'm not sitting so I can tell somebody I sat for 30 minutes. Look how great I am. It's by choice. Because we know that it is essentially great upaya, because it works, because it helps us. So how do we make Ango commitments? And I want to read uh, the paragraph I, read, I uh, wrote in the email. Uh, I think some of you read it. So as you consider what commitments to take on during this period, keep in mind that the practice is meant to create more space in our lives instead of contracting. So instead of seeing an Ango as a stressful period that is asking us to put more on our plates, We need to examine our priorities in life and focus our energy on endeavors that are intended to raise wisdom and compassion. And we can add more to that, raise more acceptance, more care, more appreciation, more attention to life, more attention and care to the people we care about, close people, people we know, people we don't know. And in addition to that, we can also explore ways to streamline some routine activities and examine the practice of right effort. So how am I doing what I'm doing? Or or what kind of thoughts and feelings are there when I'm doing what I'm doing? And am I able to focus my attention on what I'm doing while my mind is very busy producing all kinds of commentaries while I am engaged in an activity, and then to be, to be aware of the fact that those thoughts and emotions are actually draining us of energy while we are doing what we're doing. And at the end of the day, we are exhausted, and we think it's because of what we did. If we are not aware, if only if we are not aware of the fact that the, my thoughts and emotions are, are dragging me down, what I feel and think about what I do is a lot more challenging and a lot more draining than doing quite often. So to become aware of that or to become aware of how we think about ourselves, our sense of self-worth when we speak with other people. So instead of giving ourselves to the other person or to the activity or whatever it is we engage with, There is a chunk of energy that is taken up by our thoughts about ourselves. And beyond draining, it's also creating, uh, it, it is burdening the communication naturally. So I'm unable to hear the other. I'm partially preoccupied with what I think about myself and what I think about the other. There's a lot of wasted energy in our lives. And we can see an angle as an opportunity to examine where am I wasteful in my life? So, I, as well as identifying moments and periods of idleness. Now, there's a lot of that too. Now, it doesn't mean, you know, sometimes we shouldn't sit down, put our feet up and do nothing. But it does mean that we have to do Nothing intentionally do nothing. Not just pass time. Or as we say sometimes, kill time. That would be a shame. But I am here sitting down and not feeling guilty about sitting down and doing nothing. And I'm doing nothing wholeheartedly. And if I do nothing wholeheartedly, I'm doing it. Then I'm not somewhere else. Then in that doing nothing, there's no wasted effort and that doing nothing actually may be very much needed and replenishing and restorative, which we need to do at times. But again, we need to know how to do nothing. For so we don't feel bad about it. So, and then creating clarity and moving through the day with a sense of purposefulness. That can nurture, purposefulness can nurture us with much needed vital energy which then can be applied with focused intention. Now purposefulness doesn't mean it's something that it's because of what I do that has the purpose in it. I'm doing this great endeavor and that endeavor is seen as something very important and therefore there is purpose. Purposefulness is a state of mind more so than the activity itself so it doesn't matter whether we fold laundry do the dishes, or cook a meal, or work in a soup kitchen. A volunteer in a soup kitchen. It doesn't matter to the, pur- the sense of purposefulness. Right. So our conventional and habitual way of moving through life is somewhat contractual and conditional. Right? Think about it. How much attention we give to an activity or a person we interact with is usually based on what we believe we will get out of it, or what we feel about it or think about it. And also where it falls within the three common categories of like, dislike, or indifferent. So based on that, we decide how much attention to give the moment, how much of myself will I give to the moment or to the person I'm, I'm speaking with. If we examine deeply, we will see that almost everything we do is influenced by how we feel or what we think about it, which in most cases has to do with whether I like it, dislike it, or don't care much. So how wholehearted and purposeful we feel is usually determined by where it lands within these three boxes, like, dislike, indifference. And we have to be honest with ourselves to see how often we function this way. So, during this angle, we can work on cutting through these three categories, radically change this automatic mechanism, and practice unconditional unconditional attitude towards everything we do and everyone we meet. Right? It's a kind of attitude this kind of attitude can arise from the recognition that everything we do is essentially an expression of our precious and our timeless being. And the the, the preciousness of our being actually does not rise or diminish based on what we think. What changes is how much of it are we giving out to the world. And that's a shame. Because we can always give it out. And we can always express it fully. No matter what we do. And this kind of attitude can arise from the recognition that this is an opportunity for me to express that preciousness. It is always an opportunity because I'm always expressing that being. So looking within, discovering, recognizing, becoming in touch with that preciousness and then allowing that to shine forth at all times. So whatever we touch, meet, everything can be imbued by this preciousness. If we allow it, why are we so stingy with it is the question. Or why do we make it conditional? Or maybe change it and not make it conditional. We're always free to actually do that. So instead of judging how much attention we give to each moment, based on the parameters of like, dislike, and indifferent, we can practice generosity, dana paramita, and give ourselves fully to each moment by being purposeful and intentional. And another thing, to stay engaged with life, to become more interested, to become, again, we can say unconditionally interested. There's always something to learn. There's always something that we don't know. Even in things that may seem to us mundane and repetitive, still there is a lot going on because there's a lot going on that we are unaware of. There's a lot going on that the eye cannot, the eyes cannot see and the ears cannot hear. But there's a lot that's going on that we can actually open up to and allow it to penetrate us much deeper. So to become more interested, to find enthusiasm and joy at all times. Not conditionally. and the other thing is to examine our relationship with time now this will be discussed in the in the the workshop in the time workshop but to to discover or to examine and discover how am i dealing with time right and to change that now time clock time seems very very much fixed and rigid right we say 1 o'clock is 1 o'clock right so it's not my one and your one if we say we're going to meet at 1 we are talking about the same thing. And we both need to be there at the same time. That may be true, right, in terms of clock time. But we all know that an hour can feel like a minute and a minute can feel like an hour. How is that possible? If time would be so fixed, how can it be so flexible at the same time? One minute can feel like 10,000 years and 10,000 years like one minute. So we have to examine our relationship with time and instead of being so stressed with it, we have to expand. And, and it doesn't mean we have to necessarily slow down what we do because we have chores. We have things we need to do. We have responsibilities and we have deadlines. So we can't mess with that. But we can actually slow down internally while we move very fast between one activity to another. And those of you who do Aikido may know that from Randori, when we do multiple attacks, you have you know, four or five people attacking simultaneously, and uh, it's actually happening very fast. But there is a way to slow down internally that makes it seem as if it is slower. And it actually feels slower. But it has a lot to do with how grounded we are or how frantic we are within. So, and the franticness internally makes everything seem a lot, uh, makes it appear a lot faster. But in reality, it is a lot more flexible than we think it is. So, I don't have time, I don't have time. How many people say that? Or I don't have time to meditate. A lot of people say that. And a lot of people don't meditate. Because they think they don't have time. But they don't examine their relationship with time. And they don't examine the way they waste energy while they are moving through clock time. So it's not what, it's how. Freedom is not in the what. But there is a lot of freedom in the how. So that's something to definitely uh, work on. Now, the other thing is to fully accept and use all ingredients in our lives. And in the Tenzo workshop, this will be expanded on. And it means to fully acknowledge all circumstances and experiences in our lives. Again, unconditionally. The pleasant ingredients as well as the challenging and painful ingredients in our lives. And our emotional and psychological reactivities to what happens. Those are also ingredients which we should not reject or we should not use. So, for example, right now the current war uh, war in Ukraine and the senseless killings and the countless displaced refugees, all this suffering, how can we turn towards it, open up our hearts and bear witness to this suffering? So all of those things are ingredients. Why? Because they're happening. Because it is that way. So everything that's happening on a personal level in our lives, all circumstances, all conditions, and everything that's happening in the country and the world, those are all ingredients that we need to know how to bring in to our lives. So in the same way that we cook a meal, we have to cook our lives this way. And Ango is a wonderful opportunity to do that. Or to decide, to take the 90 days to do that. Another thing which is very important I find is to be practical in the way we formulate our commitments. So not just to write, I'm going to do this, this is a good idea, that's a good idea. And then comes Monday after the Sunday beginning Ango and I have no clue what to do with that. So how, what, when, schedule, put it on the calendar, make decisions, specific, practical, tangible decisions, not just about the ideas, but about how you're going to work it into your life, into your schedule. And nobody knows your life better than you. So be practical about it from the beginning. And another thing which is important is to develop flexibility of mind. So, and to examine how we we change. We all have to change. That's not in question. But how we change, how we move from one activity to the other. And when things happen and life is asking us to drop one thing and pick up another, how quickly am I dropping? How quickly am I embracing? I'm going back to we, we can imbue life with the beauty within, but if we hold on to what was because we refuse to accept what is, we are actually closing that ability to imbue life with the beauty within. Because we are partially engaged with something else that's no longer happening. So to completely and wholeheartedly drop out and again, Aikido, is very important. You do multiple attacks. You don't drop out, you will be dropped by the next person. Let go, moment by moment, drop out, move on, embrace. And in a way, the embracing of the new thing can be what we mean by dropping out. It's not that I have to do anything about something that was, but it's more so about opening up to what is and accepting that fully. And then the letting go actually happens by itself. So this is a wonderful opportunity again to do that too. Another thing is to examine our relationship with life itself. So our misalignment with reality results in having dysfunctional relationship with life. And with the practice of attention radical acceptance, appreciation, and total engagement with each moment, we can change this relationship and make it much healthier. And it is dysfunctional primarily because we refuse to change when life changes. So to make it, to make the relationship healthier is to make ourselves healthier by embracing Another thing that uh, you may want to bring into that is to memorize the common chants in our Sutra book. We don't have many and they are not very long. So it may be a good opportunity to do that. Please feel free to to change position if you need. (coughs) Now the theme of our angle. the theme I'm going to read from that, from the email I sent. The theme for this Spring Angle is interconnectedness. In this in his deeply profound trust in mind verse, Seng Chan wrote, one has many kinds, two have no duality. Interacting with everyday life through our senses creates the illusion of multiple appearances that seem to be disconnected and self-existent. Yet when we bypass our personal interpretations and fixed conceptions, And lose ourselves to the experience of each moment we learn to recognize reality in its totality. Essentially, all things are interrelated, interlaced with one another, while they appear utterly unique and different. Logically, such a statement may seem contradictory to the thinking mind, but since the ability to perceive reality through the thinking mind is limited, we need to transcend logic as well, this doesn't mean to avoid using logical discernment, but rather learn to use it skillfully, or learn to use a skillful, the skillful capacity for daily functioning. Transcending the limited view of our perceptions, which are informed by our senses, is essential to developing the ability to experience our intrinsic interconnectedness with each other and with our environment. And it's the gateway to an unconditional, organic sense of compassion, and easy to understand why, right? So naturally, when we realize, recognize, experience that we are interconnected, we don't no longer have to worry about how do I practice compassion. Of course, there will be compassion naturally. So instead of looking for how will I practice compassion. We can examine the way we divide or chop up reality and turn towards where it is unified. Underground, all things are interconnected, overground, things seem to be separated like trees in the forest. So everything permeates everything. Think about it, what we did in the past is affecting our lives today and what we do today will inevitably affect our lives in the future. A moment from now is the future. So knowing that, realizing, recognizing how this works, we have to take responsibility for this moment. And we also take responsibility for the way what was is appearing in us today. Right? Our thoughts and emotions naturally are affected by what was. If we take responsibility for that, because everything is interconnected, we will change what will be. We also change what will be when we don't take responsibility. We perpetuate. So we have great responsibility not just with anger, We have great responsibilities as human beings, which we may not want to uh, realize, but it's the truth. So when we don't cultivate awareness, we go through life in an automatic, habitual way and then perpetuate unobserved negative states of mind then we act out and we sow, essentially we sow seeds of unhappiness and confusion. However, when we work on maintaining moment-by-moment awareness, we can change this and sow seeds, wholesome seeds of wisdom and compassion. So yeah, take responsibility. And then the great determination, the third pillar of Zen practice. So, during 90 days of practice, there will be moments of feeling discouraged, there will be moments of feeling encouraged. There will be moments we fall down, then moments we get up. And we have to know how to sustain it, and we also have to know how to use the falling down as an ingredient, rather than see it as a barrier. Because falling down is a teacher, as well as getting up. And it's not a lesser teacher. It is equally important if we know how to use it. If we define ourselves by falling down, it becomes a trap, as well as defining ourselves by getting up. So constantly flowing and moving and changing and adapting. If we do that, we do experience freedom and more opportunities. So, turning towards oneself, acknowledging everything that's going on, right? Often we are not even aware. So, for example, the focusing workshop could be a great opportunity to become aware of what's really going on. And then use it well, open up to it, allow for it, make space for everything internally and externally if we don't know how to do it internally how can we do it externally if we don't know ourselves how can we know others and one more thing i want to say that i deeply appreciate the initiative and the work that goes into uh, putting together workshops so thank you for rising to the occasion all of you that will participate in that And all of you that will lead that. I deeply appreciate that. So I think that's all I want to say. But uh, what I want to do now is turn it to the uh, workshop leaders. And give you guys a bit of time to uh, express what you want to do. And we'll take it from there. You want to go first since you're here? Okay. Um, Well, uh, you may need to remove the mask to talk. Yes. You want to go close to the mic? Well, actually, let's try. Once you remove the mask and see if everybody can hear you. Actually,
1: if you don't mind, I might like to come up there
0: because I like to see the people. Come close to me. I would like to see you too. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you want to bring up a question? Thank you. Give it, thank you. Actually, put it here, yeah, so more in the center. So I
1: am Sekyoku for anybody who doesn't know me.
0: First, can you hear? Okay. Go. You may need to project your voice just so you know.
1: Okay. Uh, just put your hand up if I get quiet and you can't hear me. Um So this is the third time I have done this workshop with the sangha, so quite a number of people have participated already. Um, I would like to say that the workshop is open to anyone, whether you have taken it before or not. Uh, Some people have done it more than once um, and maybe got something different out of it the second time around. it's going to take place on five t- Tuesday nights during Ango, uh, from seven thirty to eight thirty. Um, there is one prerequisite for being for joining the workshop, and that is that you are willing and have the time to participate in a weekly partnership with another Sangha member. This is a process. Um, Which is often done in pairs, and the partnership, the pairing, seems to augment the process and help it to flow more, as well as um, over time, a sense of uh, interconnectedness can develop between the partners um, in a somewhat mysterious way or in a way that we can't quite put into words. I think some people have found this in their partnerships. Um, I've been doing this process for over 10 years. I have three regular focusing process uh, partners, and uh, this is definitely the case with us. So um, it's hard to really describe what focusing is because it is so experiential. And many people who have taken the workshops have expressed uh, that they're really surprised by what happens, uh, that they experience themselves um, and what's going on with them in a uh, surprising way. Um, It's a process that has. A lot in common with Zazen, and there are also some differences. Um, it's hard to just—oh, desc- I said this already—describe exactly what it is. But I'm going to read a few things that other people have said about it. Um, it's a practice of awareness or attention that is applied to the sit- actual situations of our lives. So it's like a can be like a bridge between Zazen and uh, the situations of our lives, whatever they may be. It's body-based. Um, uh, it's bringing attention to sensory, physical, mental uh, aspects of experience all at the same time. Um, I have a focusing, two focusing teachers. One of them said that when she first started focusing, uh, she had no awareness of her body. She was a PhD student in linguistics. She was really good at mental activities. Um, but she didn't feel her body. The all that she could feel of her body were her hands. So um, I would also say that it's a structured, body-based practice. My teacher says, focusing is a way of slowing down and sensing how your body is holding and living in the situations of your life. Doing this can result in positive change. And I would say it can result in positive change suddenly or gradually over time, just like Zazen. Ru has said to me, you might want to say (laughs) 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 it's a way of helping us get in touch with aspects of our being that are there, but which we are unable to see, nevertheless, that are affecting us in myriad ways because everything is interconnected. This can have a positive domino effect on everything in our lives. Raison wants me to say, (laughs) (laughs) this is Raison for people who don't know, Uh, focusing is a way of exploring in a structured way the experiences of our bodies and feelings. We can come to have contact with dimensions of experience that are unavailable to us in daily, habitual lives. It's also a way of coming into conversation aided by a partner. Um, So I practice a specific style of focusing, which emphasizes, all focusing does this, but it's emphasized in this style uh, it helps to. Um, just a sec. Oh, it emphasizes developing a non judgmental, curious, compassionate, expanded state or quality of awareness that can allow for whatever arises inside. It's called the radical acceptance of everything, and it presents techniques that help us to do this, not only to say it and feel like there's a gap between us and this practice, but there are techniques. So i just like to say the kinds of situations of our lives focusing can be applied to. One person said it helped her find her keys. Uh, it's commonly applied to situations that uh, have an emotional aspect to them, like problematic relationships, a work situation, an addiction or an action block, um, a puzzling relationship, issues from the past, meditation, creative projects, scientific theories. And I would just say, uh, some of the things that I feel practicing focusing over time is helping me with. Actually, at the moment, it is helping me realize that I may not be only what I think I am in specific ways that I define myself as a person, specific things, qualities of mind that I define as problems, such as being what I consider prone to anxiety and depression. Um, But it's helping me to realize that I may not be that, or uh, that kind of a person, or I may not be only that. It is definitely helping me to learn how to be gentle with myself uh, and how to approach what makes me uncomfortable with gentleness rather than with condemnation or avoidance. Uh, it's helping me realize what acceptance actually feels like in my body and it has definitely allowed me to gain access to feelings that I wasn't able allowed to feel in the fa- past. Uh, such as sadness. I uh, went more towards numbness. Um, So uh, a thing that Junryu Jean, has said to me many times over the years is uh, you need to learn to trust. And I would say that uh, focusing is the practice that is most helping me learn to trust. So uh, the requirements or what, you're, what is included in the workshop besides this partnership You do need to have the time to be able to uh, spend about an hour a week with your focusing partner. You take turns being focuser and being what is called the companion. Uh, There'll be a little reading, very, very little. There'll be a a couple of short videos. And uh, I will be contacting you too uh, to interact with you personally and you are free to contact me at any time. So that took quite a while. Do we have time for a couple of questions, or should we uh, move no, on?
0: What I want to do is actually give the others a time to express what they're going to do with the workshops, and then if we have time, sure. we have to take questions. Sure. Right, I want to make sure that we do that first. So okay.
1: Certainly, people can email me. I'm going to send out an email summarizing what I said today yeah. or tomorrow. It'll include my email address and my phone number. You can get in touch with me any way you want.
0: Yeah, what we're doing now is just putting it out there and then there could be further communication via email or Discord. Right. So there will be further communication about that. So it's not the only opportunity to ask questions, but thank you. Okay, so we're going to uh, turn it online on Zoom and um, who wants to go? Is it, uh, Enkai, you want to go first or Tai? or Kyotai?
2: just go off the top of our heads (laughs) okay (laughs) do you want to start do you want me to to go um you can start okay uh so we're doing a workshop uh i guess for short we can call it tenzo workshop tenzo being the name of the kitchen or the the cook in the in the monastery and uh and then also using the term how to cook your life which is uh Borrowed from uh, a few different places, and we're going to meet almost every other Wednesday. Um, there will be three main meetings, and then a sort of final meeting to, uh, you know, chat about our experiences and, and touch base and wrap up. And uh, the workshop is going to focus on bringing our practice into the kitchen. And so, yeah, we might share a little bit of recipes, but it's going to be inspired a lot by the Tenzo Kyokun, which is also uh, called in or the English translation is Instructions to the Cook by Dogen. And uh, that short writing, I encourage everyone to read. I'll, I'll give a few different options uh, of translations for people to read. and. Um, it can it can unfold not just about you know how to bring practice into the kitchen but really uh, how to bring your practice into all of the activities of your life um, so taking that like junior she says a lot of taking your practice off the cushion uh, it's really good for that um so what do you want to share a little bit about maybe the content or a little highlight of what we're going to chat about
3: yeah, sure. Um, you know, just to, to echo what Enkai said, you know, food is is very much um, one of many avenues, but it's a very potent avenue to examine our practice through the particular mundane aspects of our lives, and eating is something that we do every day, um, and so it's an opportunity to practice every day. Um, the workshop itself is going to be broken up into kind of three segments. Um, first one definitely focusing on Dogen's um, you know, notes for for the cook, um, and we're also going to be looking at the ways in which we engage in kitchen activities. Uh, you know, so a lot of focus on on how we use our waste, how we uh, I guess you could put it under an umbrella <laughs> of how, how, how we can be honest with ourselves of uh, I think sometimes there's a tendency to either make more food than is necessary um, and then overcommit commit to our willingness to eat the leftovers um, or how we use uh, you know the water that we soak grains in or, or how even the number of dishes we use, it's all potential you know, avenues to examine flow and waste and how we treat every single ingredient as precious. And that can mirror our everyday life. Um, And then the third component of the workshop is gonna be focusing on on aspects of intuitive eating um, and also intuitive cooking in a way that um, we can sometimes, I think we're all guilty of clinging a little bit too much to the recipe and then trying to figure out why it didn't work or something like that. Um, and, and moments when we need to kind of trust our taste uh, and, and go, this needs a little bit of X, Y, and Z, but also getting to a point where we can make those assessments that uh, requires, uh, the, the, the phrase radical honesty comes up a lot for me uh, with, with food of being honest about your willingness to hear what It means your willingness to cook enough. Uh, you know, I think what it, with the translation of Oreo keys is, is just enough for, I, I can't recall what it was, but um, it, it's really just kind of requires honesty on, on all fronts. And it's not just an opportunity to practice with ourselves and our comfort with food, but our opportunity to practice uh, expressing care and interconnectedness with the others to be shared
2: table with both physically present and everyone Yeah. Thanks, Mokong. Yeah, so just form-wise, it's going to be those three meetings uh, on Wednesday nights. Um, the resale's in first and then meeting. And we're going to have a Discord channel and mostly the, home, the homework or the what you'll be doing outside of, you know, showing up to the meeting. And if you can't, if something arises and you can't make it, we will record and, and share. Um, those meetings, so you can stay in the loop. Is you know, as you go about uh, cooking, or as you go about your experiences in the kitchen, sharing those, um, and then also like any of the movies or books or anything we recommend. There's not going to be lots of required any, uh, materials, but anything we recommend, uh, engaging with those and sharing your takeaways. Um, so that's going to be mostly the format, a little more open and, and loose, but. Uh, Turn it over to Tyru and Jyotani for their workshop. Good morning,
4: everybody. Um, Do you want to speak first, Tyru, or would you like me to? Uh, I think you, you had the. Okay, Okay, sorry. Here we go. Tyru and I are putting together a workshop on time. Um, It's going to be called the Eternal Present. Um, first examining tangible ways that we arbitrarily kind of cut up time, its usefulness, as Ginger was mentioning. You know, we, we need time um, cut up in this way to be able to meet at a certain time or join each other on, on Zoom. Um, but also over time going beyond that to look at the, the timeless nature, the eternal nature that exists there as well. Um, so it's going to be structured, um with two different stargazing opportunities one in the beginning where we're going to be looking at the stars some ways uh, of telling time with the stars and kind of a a tangible way to grasp that and then after moving through the workshop we will do another one at the end to see if we we have a different connection with the stars with the cosmos with ourselves um it's going to be on Wednesdays as well, uh, with Zalzan before, it will be through the entire hour period. Um, it's set up in such a way that you can join just the stargazing, if you're local, you could uh, join, we, we encourage participation for the entire thing, but if you can only make a couple, that's completely fine. Um, we will also have Discord where we will have uh, several things posted for your reference. Uh, we'll go through what we think is the most important when we meeting. Um, and we will also be taking uh, some time to read from Dogen's Uchi. Um, We'll have several translations available. There's one, I think, that we'll be reading together. Um, and I do want to read just a small a- excerpt from Dianne Kategori Roshi on being time, um, because I think it fits well with our ombo our theme. Uh, All sentient beings are dynamically interconnected and interpenetrated by the energy of timelessness, and being occupies the whole of space. When all sentient beings are interconnected in timelessness, the next moment can begin. Then being manifests itself anew as a phenomenal uh, aspect of a fresh moment. Um, So uh, I would like to invite all of you to join us for this examination of time, what it is uh, both in a a very concrete way and what it is also in a um, a looser way if we can examine it as Juno was asking us to examine our combo going in without necessarily thinking we know what time is Uh, tyru if you have anything to wrap up or if i forgot anything please uh no thank you that
3: was um I think that covers it. I, I think one thing to reiterate is, if you feel like you can only make uh, a few of the workshops, uh, you know, reach out and feel welcome to join, because uh, certainly the, uh, a part contains the whole. And, and um, if you also find Giotta and I are maybe a little vague about what we're going to do, it's because uh, we can't give away the questions, the activities, or the experiments that you will all be going through. So, um, uh, so yeah, if
0: you're curious, uh, then I would say show up. Great, thank you. So speak of time, we have time zones uh, differences, right? So uh, for example, uh, a friend, we have a new friend joining us, old friend for me, but new for you, David from Germany, who is there, will you see a piece from his Gi written there? In Japanese, anyway. So uh, he's in Germany. So for him, it's uh, five hours or six, almost six hours, going to be soon ahead. So the evening here is not going to be possible. So uh, and there may be others who can't participate for different reasons, physically. But as uh, Tadie was saying, you could still be a part of it, right? So if you feel like you're unable to participate physically in the meetings but want to be a part of it, reach out to the workshop leaders specifically, and then mention the circumstances and find out how can you participate? How else can you participate? So I think uh, you guys made it clear, thank you. Uh, Okay, so what I wanna do, uh, we don't have to take questions about the workshops right now because we are only a few minutes and we can do that over Discord or email, but I wanna see if anybody has any quick question about ongoing general. Questions or thoughts or encouraging words? No? Okay. Good. Either I said it all or it was too shocking. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, One of those. Okay. So uh, next Sunday we have uh, a Zazenkai. And uh, I need to know, we need to know if you're participating and we need to know if you plan to be here in person or not. The idea, I think we still plan to be in person. We do have to check the temperatures, uh, but that's the idea so far. So it's the plan. But either way, please uh, respond to the email and let me know if you plan to participate in person or on Zoom. We do need to know. Anything else? Did I forget anything? Okay. So we will, uh, we will share this uh, recording by email, so if you forgot something or if you are not here, uh, you will be able to hear it. Okay, thank you.